0: Hey everybody, welcome to Cinemusts, the podcast where we debate the must-see status of the films included in the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, and listeners decide if they should be included on the list of essential cinema. I'm disgruntled orange farmer Mike Emmel, and I'm very happy to welcome my co-host for this episode. You all might know him as one of the hosts of both Best Picture Cast and Worst Picture Cast. He is now making his Cinemusts debut and sure to rise through the department ranks fairly quickly, however dubious his means. It is Joey R. Joey, welcome to
1: Cinemas, man. Uh, Thanks so much, Mike. Super excited to be here. Talking about this movie feels, it just feels like a special night here.
0: I agree. I'm very excited for this pick um, and excited to have you on. I've been following you for a a little bit through both Best Picture Cast and Worst Picture Cast. I'm a big fan, and so this is a bit of a celebrity crush for me moment, I guess. (laughs) How... (laughs) <laughs> How are things going over there on uh, both your show? You run two shows. This is amazing. You're on two different podcasts. How is that?
1: Oh, ah, it's great. You know, so Best Picture Cast, that's that's our main show where, you know, Kieran's the host and, you know, the rest of us, Jabron, switch out for him. And we, we're going through all the, be- you know, the Oscar winners. We just have Bridge Over River Kwai. Sorry, Bridge on the River Kwai coming out in the next week. How Green Was My Valley came out a few weeks ago. English Patient's coming out. Actually, on English Patient, our friends from Below Freezing, Adam and Melissa are going to be on there with Grant and Kieran. So, you know, just great things coming. Um, We're finishing up our third season, and so the end of March is going to be our third season rankings, and, you know, if you've listened to us, our rankings episodes are some of our more exciting because we really, our, our passions truly come out. And then Worst Picture Cast is Grant and I. We did a little spin-off because we figure if we're spending this much energy talking about the great movies, we need to, we need to pay homage to the terrible movies that we love so much. Um, so our next one is actually going to be Samurai Cop with our other co-host from Best Picture Cast, RDB. Little spoiler, Mike, we'll be seeing you on Worst Picture Cast in the not-too-distant future. We're very excited about that. And no kidding. <laughs> So, you know, it's it's just good stuff. We all, we have a blast.
0: Yeah, both both are an absolute blast. I'll say a uh, big admiration for me for Worst Picture cast. The conventional knowledge would say you're taking the shift from, you know, the best picture Oscar winner. It would seem like the obvious choice is, well, go to Worst Picture at the Razzies. But I like that you guys took this approach, like, no, let's talk bad movies we love. We don't need to stick to the awards thing. Like, let's actually have a good time with this instead of just watching Catwoman and Gigli all the time. So. Much respect for that decision.
1: <laughs> yeah, we went, well, we went to movies that aren't even getting considered for the Razzies, and that what makes it fun. You know, we, Miami Connection was our first, and that's the best bad movie ever, I think. Um, then we went into Surf Nazis Must Die. We just finished Sleepaway Camp again with our friends, The Freezers, Adam and Melissa. So, you know, Sleepaway Camp, if you've never seen it, I can literally cannot recommend it enough, but please do not Google anything. Just find it. It is streaming all across the world. <laughs> It's the easiest movie to find.
0: <laughs> yeah, super easy to find. Uh, and yet I still haven't seen it. So shame on me. Mike, come on. <laughs> I know. I know. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy here on the cinema stuff. I'm going after the essentials. But who's to say Sleepaway Camp shouldn't be considered essential? Maybe it'll get on here
1: someday. It I should, don't know. It should. But again, Mike, you know, you, you do an awesome job. I'm super excited to be here. And when you asked, I texted Kieran like, uh, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on. And both super pumped. So thank you
0: it was all to get you here. Now, Kieran's a great guy. He's been on two episodes. We've talked Willy Wonka, we've talked Brief Encounter, but it was all just the prelude to get you on the show. So thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate you showing up.
1: Yeah, of course, man. Yeah.
0: And of course, everybody listening, welcome back to all of you. I'm super glad to have you here because the ever deepening mystery we need your help to solve is which films truly deserve a spot on the list of essential cinema. To determine if tonight's movie is going to earn a place on that list, we're leaving it up to all of you to cast your votes on polls we're going to put out on our various social media pages. So if you're not already doing so, make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can find us on any of them just by searching for Cinemusts. That is where you're going to cast your vote on the must-see status of tonight's movies. So while you're making sure you're following us on whichever of those platforms is your preference, I'm going to give you a rundown on how you're going to cast your vote. Every movie we talk about here on Cinemus is going to go through our CinemaS system where it's voted into one of three tiers. At the top tier, we have our namesake, the CineMusts. These are movies you think at one point in their life absolutely everyone has to see. You would recommend everybody see them. In the middle tier are the Cinatrusts, movies that are probably pretty good. They may be amazing, but there's something about them that makes them recommendations only to a select group of people, not everyone and bottom tier are the Cinebus, which are movies that honestly, maybe not even bad. Maybe they're pretty good. You just don't recommend them to anybody, and they don't earn a spot anywhere near that upper echelon of essential movies. So we are going to be talking about a movie tonight, see which of those categories it fits into, and Joey and I, we're going to give you the rundown on it. We'll be totally spoiler-free for a couple of minutes, so if you haven't seen it, hang with us. Then we'll move into spoilers, backing up our points bit by bit. So Joey, I've been told I'm a fairly generous host that when someone comes on, I give you a list of 1400 eligible movies and ask you to pick one. And uh, some say that makes me generous. Some say it makes me cruel because it's too many to pick from, but you seem to leap right at it. So tell everybody which movie have you chosen to discuss tonight and what made you pick this one?
1: So, yeah. So when you said, here's a list of directors and their movies, the level of excitement, my God, um, it it was just glorious, overwhelming. But after some debate, some excitement, landed on Chinatown.
0: Which made me geek out. So this, uh, as, as you said, a part of the filter is we have some directors, 80 plus episodes in. I'm ashamed we've never discussed a film of theirs. Polanski, he's, he's one, whether, you know, his, his name, however you feel about it, he's got some all-time great films sure what drew you to chinatown i mean you you had a, a really good list going here when we were filtering down but what made you pick chinatown above the rest
1: where i started was i went directors right so i threw out roman polanski i threw out billy wilder amongst others and then we kind of broke it down so in looking at everything chinatown just kept being the one to pull me in right i was it was just jack You know, had that. That's always fun. Like, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I'm just thinking Jack and I, you know, talked about him in long form on the Best Picture cast. So Uh, Chinatown, I feel like of all the Nicholson movies that are loved so much, this one is kind of doesn't always get the recognition in that world for him. So I felt like it was felt like it was the right choice. And I was so happy when you agreed to it because uh, it's 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 just it's just great.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking Oscar buzz with this movie, its relationship to the best picture sphere and all that. So I, I could not be more excited for this one either. So thanks for picking it. We'll get Billy Wilder here someday. An episode <laughs> on some movie of his has got to come soon. But for now, Chinatown is such a good pick. So let's roll into it. Like I said, for a couple of minutes here, guys, we're going to be spoiler free. If you've never heard of Chinatown, we're going to give you the rundown on it so you can see if it's something you want to go check out. Once we move into spoilers for the movie, we'll let you know. So, Joey, as co-host, I task you with giving just a quick boilerplate boiler explanation of what the movie's about. So if you were going to explain Chinatown to somebody who'd never seen Chinatown and you wanted to get them on the hook, what would you tell
1: them it was about? Yeah, so th- this was fun for me because um, in the worst picture cast, we kind of do something similar, but we go really snarky because they're, you know, mm-hmm. bad movies we love. So for this, doing, getting to do a really earnest one, it was hard, but it was fun. So this is what I went with. You can go snarky if you want. I I think my inherent form is snarky, but I try to pull a little bit off of it. <laughs> Retired cop and private investigator J.J. Giddies investigates troubled marriages in 1930s neo-noir L.A. Until he gets mixed up in a desert water conspiracy that will take him down a glorious rabbit hole.
0: Beautifully spoken. Before we get into votes, I usually really quick like to see people's histories with the movie. Some of these movies are first time watches. Others are favorite classics. What's your what's your history with Chinatown?
1: It was something that I hadn't seen until about within the last year. Um, It was something that was streaming and I saw it and I was like, you know, it was right after um, I had seen Lost Weekend for the first time and Lost Weekend blew my mind. And that kind of took me into Billy Wilder way. And then I was like, all right, there's just, just some movies that need to be seen it's also i watched dr strange love for the first time so then this just kind of felt like the next movie that i needed to watch so you know so that was the first time so then coming into this so now i've watched it three times and um it it gets better each time
0: that's awesome man three times in a year is uh that's pretty dang good for i i I think the movie earns it and uh, i guess before i get too excited and just like completely bury the lead we should just get into votes and get this stuff on the record real quick so you're going Chinatown, you can put it as a CineMust, a CineTrust, or a bust.
1: Where is it going to fit for you? I think this is a no-brainer CineMust for me. Um, When I was looking at it, I couldn't even comprehend thinking about the other two for this movie, Um, especially for something that isn't as known as it should be. I think this is an easy recommend for anybody.
0: Awesome. With those, sometimes it can be hard to narrow it down to just three reasons why, but give it your best shot. The main three reasons why you recommend Chinatown to absolutely everybody. Lay them on me.
1: So first, the entire movie being from the point of the main character, J.J. the from the camera work to the story, the entire thing through J.J. Giddies and one person is just fantastic. I loved it so much. We'll talk you know, about the noir style in a little bit, but just having something so deep in there where it using the camera to tell a story and everything from one point of view just really sucked me in the entire time where I couldn't even, you just, it's just impossible to not get lost um, in it. Second, uh, I'm going to be honest. It's a little bit of cheating here. I kind of doubled down, but I felt like it was important is the script and the storytelling are perfect. I, I think they're just so effective I, I think, you know, just... I, I want to go and read the script and just see how it's laid out on film because as learning the story with J.J. Giddies and then being able to... It all makes sense and it just really... They crush it. And my third... Again, completely not spoiler. I'm following the rules. This is a story with dark twists, a great femme fatale, and they all hold up. I think sometimes older movies... Um, don't, with, with twists or with different things, don't hold up because our expectations as moviegoers change through, so much throughout the years where these movies that did it first in it, th- th- there's twists, there's dark twists. The story at no point is boring and never feels dated. So those are my three.
0: Perfect. All right. So 100% recommendation. And I'm, I'm going to agree with you on this. I'm joining you in the to vote. I think everybody should see Chinatown. I'm, I'm with you. Fairly no-brainer. There's movies that come on this show and you don't even have to think about it. I'm going to be with you on a lot of these. We're going to have a lot of the same points, but maybe worded differently. So reason number one, I recommend the movie to everybody. To me, this may be the ultimate sleuth movie, the the detective story genre. It's very popular, and especially, you know, not knocking any of the classics because I I love them so dearly. I think Chinatown in some ways one ups them a lot, especially through its analysis of the detective character, J.J. Giddies. Reason two for me, you called out the scripts. I'm going to call it the cinematography. I'm going so far as to say this is elegant cinematography. I love the way this movie looks. I think there are very purposeful choices here to both link the movie to detective movies and film noirs of the past, but also to choice, choices made to modernize it, to make it more naturalistic. And I think every step in that direction is near perfection. And then my third reason I recommend the movie to everybody thematically speaking I think this movie sums up the 70s to me potentially more than any other movie from the 70s and to whet the appetite a little more on what I mean by that to me if I if you're gonna come up to me and say like what's what's the general theme of the 70s in filmmaking I'm going after things like well it's disillusionment it's distrust of institutions and government it's it's cynicism it's fatalism it's pessimism all things that belong in film noir and you know I I'll join in with you here and this will be reason 3.5 for me. Cause I can't help but cheat either. You said that this movie's maybe like not as well seen as you felt like it should be. And I almost jumped out of my chair when you said that. Cause I agree. And the, and the funny thing about that is, is on paper, it is that famous. If you look up any YouTube reviewer, any like look up a list of the best movies of the 1970s, you're going to see Chinatown on it. You're going to see it up there with taxi driver and jaws and the Godfather movies. And one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's always on that list. And yet, many people still haven't seen it. It slips under the radar, but you immediately pitch it to somebody and say, yeah, there's this movie made in the 70s and Jack Nicholson in his prime plays like a Humphrey Bogart-esque detective. Everybody's like, it sounds incredible. How have I never heard of this movie? So if you've never heard of it and all this stuff is making you say, what, that sounds awesome. It is. Joey and I are saying like, we recommend the movie to everybody. And if I'm reading you right, Joey, it sounds like, you and I both agree it
1: deserves that spot as one of the best movies in the, of the seventies. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Everything you said fully on board. I'm literally writing it down. Be like, Oh, that's a really good point. That that should have been one of my points. You nailed it.
0: We help each other out. Yeah. So it's, it's a gush fest episode, everybody. This is, um, this is one I've been looking forward to this very handily for me. I'm, I'm not a Polanski fan. I, I don't say that. Obviously I'm not a fan of, him as a person i don't really want to dwell too much on everything that filters around him because it's a no-brainer to say like right no, I, I hope so, so i hope it's is. a
1: no-brainer <laughs> right yeah
0: but also his filmmaking wise i think he's fine for the most part i think he has talent but there are not a lot of movies of his that i'm like oh masterpiece chinatown is chinatown is far and away my favorite polanski movie it far and away is a masterpiece and so i'm super stoked this is the one that you chose to
1: talk about Joey. And I can't wait to dive a little deeper
0: into the, the web of conspiracy.
1: Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I think Polanski is why this isn't so known because I think, you know, whenever we see these awful people make art, you know, it, we sometimes forget that 300 other people were involved in making this thing. Um, right. Right. So, you know, again, Polanski should be in prison, but I don't, th- we know, you know, we all, yeah. we all know he's a bad guy, but Nicholson, I think this is an all-timer for him. Um, Faye Dunaway is fantastic. I mean, you have Houston in here. Like, the, the, everybody in here is so good. And it's – you're right. Every time I was reading it and you read these reviews and it seems like everybody's seen it. But then you talk to people and nobody's seen it. And it's, it's a weird – it doesn't fit. I, you got that, like, feeling right because I, I was having trouble kind of putting it together as I was doing the research.
0: Well, it's just so funny to me because references to it are everywhere. Like in children's movie, there's an incredibly, it's a lazy joke. But if you watch Inside Out, the Pixar movie, there's a Chinatown joke in it. And if you watch the Rango, which I think is a great movie, the animated movie about the lizard in the Old West. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. The plot is Chinatown and one of the <laughs> characters is overtly John Huston from Chinatown. Like it's, it's showing up in kids movies. The, um, you know, the big twist, there's jokes about it in sitcoms, like Chinatown's everywhere. And yet so many people don't know about it. So if, if that's you, go after it um regrettably this the movie is not as easy to stream as it used to be i know it used to be on netflix for forever but now um you basically if you want to check it out and you don't own it or know somebody who owns a copy four bucks it'll get you a rental on any of the streaming platforms go to youtube prime video any of those you'll get chinatown it's a it's a great movie night joey and i say it's absolutely one of the best movies of the 70s We'll have the discussion on if it's one of the greatest of all times. We'll, we'll see where that goes. But uh, 100% recommendation from
1: both of us here, folks. And the other big thing about it is the runtime is unbelievably friendly. You're looking at two hours and 10 minutes. You look at it, you think the 70s, you think Detective Movie. I, even after seeing it, I was like, oh, okay. So I'll watch it twice for the podcast. There's about six, six and a half, seven hours. Um, when I told Kieran I watched it twice, he was like, oh, wow, seven hours in one weekend. I was like, no, this movie's only two hours a time. And he's seen it before. <laughs> it just feels like something when you think about the 70 movies that are just... And the runtime is very friendly. And like you said, I mean, you know, it was on HBO Max. It was on Netflix forever. I think it went away like two months ago. It's worth the $4. It's so oh, good. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. It's it's worth the 20 bucks to get the Blu-ray, honestly. Sure. But, you know, you... If you haven't seen it, you check it out for yourself. You're going to form your own opinion. It's on you guys, the listeners, at the end of the show to ultimately get it in the cinemas category, or maybe not. Maybe we're just a little too cinephile and geeking out, but <laughs> we'll see where the conversation goes. So, Joey, before we move into spoilers here, any final words you want to say to people about Chinatown?
1: Just, just watch it. Um, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. If you're listening to this podcast, you care at least 10% about movies that should be in your arsenal.
0: I guess last thing I'll say, too, is if, you, if you're going to go check it out and you haven't seen it before, seriously pause the, the podcast. Now, don't let anything get spoiled for you. Don't look anything up. Just go check it out. Enjoy it. Take it in. And uh, hopefully you'll want to watch it twice <laughs> because it's a, it's a great repeat viewing movie. But um, that's, that's where we'll leave you before we move into spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, pause us now. Go check out the movie and come back. Because from this point forward, we're talking spoilers for Chinatown. I think you better come with me. But why? There's nothing more to say. Will you get my car, please? Okay, go home. But in case you're interested, your husband was murdered. Somebody's been dumping thousands of tons of water from the city's reservoirs and we're supposed to be in the middle of a drought. He found out about it and he was killed. There's a waterlogged drunk in the morgue, involuntary manslaughter if anybody wants to take the trouble, which they don't. It seems like half the city is trying to cover it all up, which is fine by me. But Mrs. Mulray, I goddamn near lost my nose. And I like it. I like breathing through it. And I still think that you're
1: hiding something.
0: All right, Joey, so for the conversation, I want to start with one of your points because it is... It's it's one of the key points of the movie's legacy, and I'll I'll totally own it. I'm I'm gonna agree with you probably a hundred percent here. I made a conscious effort not to make this one of my three points, even though it's like immediately where my brain went when it's like, what do I love most about Chinatown? It's the script, and the reason I say it's it's kind of obvious is because we were talking spoiler free, like the movie tops lists of like best movies of the '70s. You look up any respected establishment uh the WGA any sort of screenwriting block anything they've got a list of the top screenplays of all time you're going to see two movies at the top you're going to see Casablanca and you're going to see Chinatown like they're always Chinatown is always lauded as it may be the greatest script Hollywood ever produced um and I also like this because we talked also spoiler free that Roman Polanski is a talented director and his hand behind the wheel here definitely makes the movie a part of what it is but we're not the biggest fans of Polanski as a filmmaker and definitely not as a human being. And what I like about this is this is a hell of a template. And so, you know, talented director or not like Robert town delivers a script here that is the movie. And you can feel like Polanski didn't save this. He didn't like take a good script and make it great. Like he took a, what you're calling a perfect script and he made a perfect movie. So he, he had like this great jump start. So let's, let's just talk about the script. Tell me what you love about it. Tell me if you think it deserves that top spot as potentially the greatest ever written. Like, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, I was looking up the list too and it was popping up everywhere. So I felt, I was like, okay, good. Like I'm not missing, you no, know, I'm not reading this wrong. But the, the fact that it's just, everything is paced and makes sense. There's nothing wasted. So I, like I, someone, I don't care if a movie is an hour. I don't care if a movie is four hours. If everything makes sense and everything is there for a purpose, let it be what it needs to be to tell the story. Now, I'd rather shorter, but I don't care. I get upset when there's just wasted nonsense. And then this is a movie that there is not a wasted word, movement, thought. Everything makes sense and everything builds upon the thing that just happened in front of it. But it also allows the movie watcher, it pays respect to the movie watcher to let you figure it out with them. And there's no nonsense explaining of stuff that's overdone. Everything fits. When the glasses are found in the pond, you're, they don't tell you what it is. You figure it out and they let you know by using the security. They don't let you know by, oh, well, those are my glasses. <laughs> like it all just yeah, makes, yeah. And it's perfect.
0: <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll talk more of cinematography, but there's a lot of good shots that do that. And it's, it's a lot of, you know, you want to praise it for trusting the viewer. Cause yeah, there's not a line of like, oh, my glasses. But when you look at it, there's there's shots you know john houston takes a beat to put on the bifocals yes. to make sure the fish head is on at dinner and so this is what i'm saying you know repeat viewings it's like when you know where it all goes and then you're looking at it it's like oh man they look, they're they tipping it off the whole time script wise something you said is my like number one point to say oh i love this script it's that you're not lost because a, a tenant of the detective story and I don't want to knock it too much because I've actually gone record on this show, especially in our big sleep episode. Kind of part of the charm sometimes of an old film noir detective story is you get lost and you don't really remember like the immediate goal. And it's big sleep was a great example of like, I'm here to hang out with Humphrey Bogart. I'm having a good time. But I openly admit like there's parts in the middle of that movie where I'm like, wait, what is he supposed to be like figuring out right now? Or what is he like going after again? And you don't have that in Chinatown. You're, it's always clear like what the next step is or what you're trying to unpack. And like you said, there's not a moment of like where they sit down and have a huge exposition dump or if there is, it's being couched in this discussion of learning a character's backstory or history and kind of getting the feeling like. You're not being fed exposition. You're being given like another clue because there's something in the performance. Fate Dunaway seems uneasy when she talks about her dad. What's she trying to hide? You're getting that kind of thing. So, you know, you're always keeping track of like, okay, I know the the water thing is the big deal. And I know why he's going to the orange groves. I know what he's trying to do next. And maybe that even feeds your point about being with the POV of the sleuth is you kind of get to be along for the mystery and you feel kind of like a consummate professional because the movie trusts you to figure out clues, but it also gives you enough
1: information to do it. Yeah. And I, because, and then you get into things like when they go to the old folks home, there's not driving up like, Oh, we're going here to see this guy and this guy, they get there, they see the boat club and they see the names and you're meant to remember the names based off the obituary. Like you're putting things together and I think movies just don't, let the viewer do that work. And I think it's just, they're saying like, no, this is written in a way. There's no bullshit. We're not, we're not going to put things in here just to add. That's going to make you forget or make you get lost. Or like you said, lost was perfect. Um, bored. Because I think that's, I love the old detective movies, but yes, usually there's a half hour in the middle with the femme fatale that's kind of, all right, that was fun, but that had nothing to do with the beginning or the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's part of their charm. Again, I, I rewatched Maltese, Maltese Falcon this weekend, and I liked it. You know, it's, it's Humphrey Bogart hanging out with Mary Astor, and it doesn't serve much, but I'm like, yeah, classic movie stardom. But, right, um, I love that movie too, though. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it doesn't get it doesn't get more classic movie starring We got jack nicholson and faye dunaway but it's you, you use the term it's it's tight There it's lean there's there's not a lot of fat there's not a lot of indulgence and if it is it's creating mood it's it's this air of um relaxation is not the right word because it's a, it's definitely like a dark <laughs> kind of pessimistic movie but i'm thinking you know i'm thinking of sh- times where it, you know he's hanging out outside Yelburton's office because Yelburton won't see him and so his his plan is to just hang out and annoy the secretary until she caves and sees him in. And that's, that's a scene that plays out. It's Jack Nicholson whistling and then it's him getting up and looking at the pictures on the wall. And it's, it's to a point it's building character. It's slow. And and I appreciate the slowness too. That kind of helps you feel again, like you're on the job and sometimes the job is boring. Sometimes the job is you hang out on the bluff all night checking out what Hollis Mulray's doing down at the tide pools. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it's things like that, 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 but it's, it's also effective, like you said, even though, you know, he's whistling and kicking, but what we're seeing is someone who now we know he's fearless. Now we know he's going to do everything he can to do that, get the job done. So we're with him in it, but you know, we don't need, we don't need when he first meets Lou down at the water to be like, Oh, you were a fearless cop. And now you're a reckless detective. Like we don't need that. Because they're going to the mm-hmm. it's going they're gonna let us learn that with him, and that's just such a better experience than nonsense like that. And I'm happy they, you know, didn't do that way. And but just things like putting the stopwatch behind the car tire. Yes. Put kicking out the side view mirror. Just brilliant.
0: <laughs> My mine is taking a bunch of Yelburton's business cards. To sneak into the reservoir. That's and that's you just made a key point for me why this is an ultimate sleuth movie. And again, I am not. I love a Humphrey Bogart detective movie. We have so many we're going to be able to talk about in the future, and I am stoked for it. But old film noir's. I've I've noticed watching a couple this week. Like I said, I love hanging out of them. It's comfort food to me to hang out in the world of old school detective movies. But the detective work is a lot of. They go to this place and they talk or flirt with this person, and then they get some information. And occasionally, like some random happenstance, you know, a, a sea captain comes into the office and drops dead and delivers the object of importance. You know, there's there's not a ton of boots on the ground detective work. At least it doesn't feel like it's kind of just a guy going one, from one place to another and using his. His suaveness which isn't a word, but it's, it's right. the charm. That. And here, like you said, the watches is always a favorite. You, know, you talk to people who watch the movie and they're like, that part I love with the watches, that's so ingenious. The taillight, the taking the business cards. It's, it's a guy on the job. You're actually seeing him on the job. You're along for the ride. And he seems like he's good at it. You know, for, for all the mistakes he makes, I don't think Jake, aside from the one big mistake that really gets the conflict going, I don't think he screws
1: up that much. I think he's a pretty good detective. And I think the other thing that matters he there 's integrity with him you know it 's he's he left because he's you know even he 's going to bring her in. i 'm going to you know i 'm going to turn you in when he sees the sister until you explain something and I, and I appreciate that, and as much as you know I wish I could wear a suit and a, and a hat every day and look that dope. I don't, the world changed. So it's fun to get into that. Right. Because if I showed up at work like that, what I wouldn't look as cool. And everybody'd be like, what's, what's wrong with this guy. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I, I love, I'll watch any Humphrey Bogart movie, but I love those, but this just has, it's, this is just taking those and just adding in a level of intelligence that the script just elevates it to. So I got another script question
0: for you. the, the hard-boiled detective I feel lives and dies by their snappy comebacks how are those in this movie for you are do we are we always pitch perfect are we misstepping or trying too hard at any point what do you think of Jack's repartee here
1: you know I feel like I feel like they're they feel lived in right they lived feel like like with Lou and Lou's partner they're way tighter than with people he just meets so I, I like that he's he's able to he's not always completely teed up it's based off his comfort level and knowledge of the person is how how sharp it comes out and i really appreciate that because it shows that he's always thinking always reading the room
0: right do you have a favorite jj giddy's snappy rejoinder Uh, oh man i'd have to think about that let let me buy you some time and give me mine
1: okay perfect yeah please
0: um, and I will weigh in and say, I do feel sometimes it does feel like maybe the movie's trying a little too hard with them, a little too hard to be like, this is a detective movie. What would, you know, Humphrey Bogart say but not too often. The one that comes to my mind is I actually think he just says, you know what I mean too much after he like burns somebody. I think he just needs to let the insults speak for itself. But the, the one he nails, Oh, when he, when he leaves Yelburton's office for the first time and he sees Mulvahill hill by the elevator and he's, he says, what are you doing here? Mulvihill says they shut my water off he said, how'd you find out you don't drink it you don't bathe in it they sent you a letter but then you'd have to read or you'd have to know how to read (laughs) that's a great great exchange
1: oh that's a really good one (laughs) the Mulvihill stuff is always is he always nailed it you know I actually where'd, where'd you get the midget that's a good one yeah, that's a, the, the midget one. And I actually like the kind of the first lines. All right, girly, enough's enough. You can't eat the Venetian blinds. I just had them installed on Wednesday.
0: In, in case there was any doubt, this movie was going to be a good old fashioned detective story. Yep. Second line. I know it was it was
1: it was just perfect. Because somehow they made a color a color movie, but still have the blinds have the light that comes through. Mm-hmm. So so strongly in the black and white movies. So I, I like that they right away they let you know what they're doing and they were like, OK, this this is what we're doing.
0: That is a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else about the script. Do you want to hit it, It's It's kind of hard to say what hasn't already been said to me.
1: Yeah, I think at that point, I think I think we really covered it, but it's, I just I think it's, it's just really effective and I think efficient, too. I think it really just works.
0: It's high praise. It is super tight. It it's funny if you ask me. Like, oh, the greatest scripts of all time. I don't know that I would like throw Chinatown out there, but like when you break it down and pick it apart technically, it's like, well, yeah, like it's all there. It's it is super solid and well deserved of the Oscar it won and the legacy it continues to uphold. Um, I want to segue here if I could to cinematography because I think the cinematography is going to complement a lot of the scripts, a lot of the ideas and. I can make a lot of broad points. I, I said I just like the choices the movie made because the um when you've got a revival of some sort, th- the conventional wisdom is like, let's take modern technology and let's kind of just do the old stuff, but we'll update it a little. And I'll talk about a show both of our podcasts have covered. Ours much more favorably than yours because I still really like the movie, but the artist is a good example. Let's make a silent movie. We'll still do black and white. We'll do it silent, but we've got some some tricks we'll throw in there, few and far between. And so you'd think that's what Chinatown would be. So like, oh, let's go black and white film stock. It'll be great. We'll use the old like harsh lighting cinematography. We'll make this look like a bogey and Bacall detective movie. And they don't go for that. They're like, it's Technicolor and we're going to have our sleuth out in wide open spaces and broad daylight a lot of the time. And I really feel like that works that's what makes me label the cinematography as elegant because i think of like these wide panning shots of things like the la river that you know end in this tight close-up of jj giddy's face and his hat just pointed off in the distance and it's beautiful you know a, a car chase through orange groves it's, it's bright and vibrant but still dangerous there's not a lot of these you know him walking the streets at night and there's steam coming from the sewers and dark alleys it, it doesn't fit one the period because another thing that's refreshing we could chalk this up to the script is it's it's 1937 it predates the time period of a lot of the more famous detective movies and as the movie kind of subtly points out la is not a huge deal yet it's right it's kind of blossoming. it's not a small town you know but it's not a metropolis this is kind of the the turning point of la becoming you know what what la is it's a desert in the united states right. yeah and that's so great to see that to, again to see the detective outside broad daylight like it's cool and i've already talked about how much i admire the slow shots and how scenes will play out without a lot of cuts dialogue scenes just run in a, in a mid-shot and, and that is referencing you know old film noir was shot like that but there's there's more elegance to it it's not as unbalanced as that it's it's very carefully blocked out um you know you if you watch uh cinefix i know i think cinefix is called this is the greatest movie ever made i think they have a couple of videos where they just specifically talk oh wow <laughs> about, yeah, yeah i think they have a couple of videos they talk about like the blocking and the staging and how you know if if you shot this as you know a, a standard conversation one shot on fade dunaway one shot on jack nicholson like it works but when you know they keep it in one shot and then they'll pan the camera to isolate one of them like it's really good. It's not flashy, but it has a beauty to it, which is not an adjective we use to describe film noir detective movies very much.
1: Absolutely. And you know, something we've talked about um, at the best picture cast is, you know, the Hitchcock quote of using cinematography to tell the story, right? That should be first. And when you, when I think of the, you know, those the old noir movies, I think about the voiceover kind of laying things yeah. out. Yeah. This, This pulling back from that and using, really letting the cinematography tell the story. I mean, there's times where literally the camera is walking over Giddy's shoulder. You see just his shoulder, his head, his neck. Telling the it's just, it's so effective because you're literally seeing things as he sees them that we don't need him as in the next scene when he's driving on his way to the orange grove talking about what he saw because we got to see it with him
0: yeah that's let's go back to praising the script great move no voiceover because that's the other thing conventional wisdom like you gotta have the voiceover to transition the scenes and stuff and movies movies that have done that neo-noir movies that have done that for the most part is tanked them um theatrical theatrical cut of blade runner i know it's got its fans but it's not it's not good the voiceover is not good (laughs) no so this this was a great you know, distancing themselves from the past, paying reference to it, but saying like, we're not going to do the voiceover thing. We're putting this complicated story together because we trust you as an audience member to figure it out. So we're not going to have Jack Nicholson come in to explain it to you.
1: It's a great move. Uh, It's brilliant. And it's so effective because it, you know, it could have failed, but it just, it elevated everything.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Let's talk a little bit about that POV. It's a point for you. You're saying, you know, point the movie's great is it's it's the POV of J.J. And that's you know, we see that in cinematography. We see it in over the shoulder shots or camera moves directly from his eyeline. But what else about this movie being told strictly from J.J. Giddy's point of view makes it is a big selling point for you?
1: Yeah, so it, one, you know, him being in every single scene in some form, it's not a face shot every time it changes every time. So it's not boring. But it's such just a deep and fantastic character and Jack just crushes it. So I think he's someone you want to spend as much time with as he figures these things out. Even when he does make mistakes, you want to be there with him to fix it because you trust that he will. And, um, you know, even the way they used the the binocular shots – um, different things like that really stood out where everything is from his point of view you know they could have had him look through a binocular and then you know show us the shot of Hollis and the kid and the kid on the horse but instead no we're going to do it as the binoculars so you're literally in his eyes right now it's it's mm-hmm. you know being being John Malkovich in it and um <laughs> I, just, I just it it kept it kept me really engaged the entire time where even at some of the parts that were a little bit slower. Um, I was fully in because I wanted to be with him and go where he went next.
0: Yeah. Again, putting you on the job with him and and when you can do it subtly, never hurts to play into the voyeuristic angle of hit both his profession and us as the audience, like along for the ride. Um, I, I always, every time I watch it, I always think like, this has got to be like a murder shooting schedule on Jack Nicholson. He's in every scene. It just kills me when you watch a movie and it's like, you're here all the time like there's no day <laughs> off for you this must be brutal but it, it works because i i'm a big fan of movies where you feel like you've been on a journey with with the main characters and this is a thing you can use to get that that we we start in the office with your standard matrimonial work it's just a it's just another job a just dis, a distrusting wife who thinks her husband's cheating on her and By the end, oh, the the dark depths you have plumbed, the conspiracy you've unravelled—it's it's it's such a great development from beginning to end, from such simple beginnings. And I, we neither of us really have performances on, so this might be as good a point as any to kind of point them out. One, I love Jack Nicholson's casting, and this is him in his prime. It's right before he's going to hit it big with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but I think he's great casting. I think he sells the snark. I think he sells. Also, the vulnerability, which is not a typical tenet of your 1940s detective. They're a little more hard-boiled and closed off. And he opens up and he, you know, not he's not an open book, but um I think he sells both parts. In fact, I think the only time that he missteps for me performance-wise, I think he goes a little overboard with the the joke about the Chinaman. That's the big dramatic reveal of Faye Dunaway behind him. I, I think he, he doesn't even wait for the punchline before he's laughing hysterically. That's that's the one moment that I I want to time travel fix. It's like, Polanski, tell him to tone it back or wait a second for the other guys to not laugh before he goes. There. <laughs> right. Just let it breathe uh,
1: for two seconds. <laughs> yeah
0: so i i don't know i know a, a phrase you're you're fond of using our friend adam st john from below freezing and rewind uh 2552 the, the mount rushmore and i've been thinking oh, yeah. about this all week is is this a, a jack nicholson mount rushmore performance is it one of the, the big
1: four yeah so um you know you had thrown that out to me the other day and i was thinking about it and I went to the you know best picture cast guys and I was like oh Jack Jacks you know, I talked to Kieran I talked to Grant I talked to um, Oz and just talking about it and for me it is I just think it's a fantastic performance um I, you know mine is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Shining, Chinatown, and Batman. That's that's my Jack Rushmore. I you know mm-hmm. you know leaving out some things, but I I think you know before Chinatown I had. Um, a few good men in there, just because small role, but I think he's just fantastic in yeah. it. But uh, I, I put Chinatown in there for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I would too, just because again at, at the time frame, and we we've done a show on The Shining, and I like I like his performance in it. We talked about how he goes big and it's on purpose. But that's that's the Jack Nicholson that's the most famous. It's the big crazy Jack Nicholson, and here we've got this moment. Before that, it's but you know, I think I think it kind of even starts with Cuckoo's Nest because just that's the nature of the role. You're you're in a a mental hospital and here, you know, here we don't have that here. We've got a guy who is really trying to play the subtle moments. And so, yeah, for me, just because, you know, I I really need to rewatch five easy pieces because I know it's it's probably like a master class in acting. But which which am I more likely to like go back and rewatch five easy pieces or Chinatown? It's a no brainer. So this this would probably make my Mount Rushmore him as well as well as Faye Dunaway, who here's, here's my hot take. See what you think of this. I think Faye Dunaway might outshine Jack Nicholson in this movie.
1: Ooh, interesting. She's fantastic in this. And I, I, I mean, I, I love her. It's just for me, it's, it's Jack's movie, but, 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 come on, but sway me, sway me, Mike.
0: <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like she's, she's, I'm going to have to make this point off of like, OK, well, let's keep in mind she does have less to do. Like we just said, Jack Nicholson, is in every scene. It, it definitely is his movie. It's that repeat viewing thing when you when you know the development, when you know the twists, and you watch Faye Dunaway and you're trying to keep track of the character motivations and what's bringing her to the table because it starts simple enough before anything goes down. It's just like my husband's been defamed as this adulterer. And they're saying, I hired this detective to do it and I didn't do it. So I got to go talk to him. But, you know, the the bad luck of the next day being the day her husband's murdered, I think unbeknownst to her at the time. And now all of a sudden, when you're watching it the first time, she's the femme fatale. So all of these nervous ticks and trying to hide up, you're just like, crappy liar. She's the femme fatale. Like, what (laughs) is the big dark secret she's hiding? How is she going to screw over JJ by the end of this movie? And then you rewatch it after you know what happens. The ticks are for a whole different reason. It's and it's not just like hiding. It's not just she's a bad liar. It's she's on a mission. And the mission is keep Catherine safe. That's that's the whole arc of this. And so, again, talk about keeping, you know, your goals in mind like that's it. And all this crap keeps coming up and complicating it. And she's having to come up with new lies that are going to fit the stories that are going to convince an audience on the first time like she's. Profiting off this somehow. She's going to stab JJ Giddies in the back. And then the second time, having it track that she's protecting Catherine. She's trying to get out with her daughter. I just think she plays it to the T again. Just the, the vulnerability between both of them here, and especially these moments that have been well cited, like when her father is brought up and how that completely derails her and rightfully so because of the trauma she's endured. I just really think she does so much with a lot less screen time. And so, yeah, maybe if you're going to ask me performance of the movie, I may I may say Jack Nicholson just because, yeah, it is his movie and he's the charismatic sleuth. But I'm also gravitating towards the the more subtle performance, the one that has less screen time, but has to pull a lot of weight, And it's her. And and, I mean, one last thing, this is a weird props to say, but for that, for the big reveal scene, it it wasn't working. And she told Jack Nicholson, like, it's only going to work if you really slap me. She went for it, and man, does she sell that moment? Because that's a moment yeah. to crib what you said. Like, that's a dark twist, and holy cow, does that still connect? There's nothing that's hokey about it, or over dramatic, or melodramatic, or anything. Like you watch that in 2021 or 2022, that still hits hard. Oh yeah, and
1: you know, I I, I do love her performance because the the reality is, it's her story that Giddies has to figure out, right? So it's yeah, her. Yeah you know, as, um, and I think she does such a good job because she's not easy to read. It's not, you know, you kind of, she sets the expectation while also showing someone who, you know, this is someone who's been through profound trauma would react in this way. This is someone who's trying to, you know, everything makes sense on that, that next watch, but, and even it all, it all just works in a way that she, I mean, she does a fantastic job. And I think, you know, because it's her story, like a scene, like back to the um, the retirement home. If that, if she was someone who was heavy handed or melodramatic, maybe that scene now is just a disaster and doesn't make sense and doesn't hold the. You know, even just then to the next where she's like, "Oh, that Albert Court Club, yeah, oh my, my dad owns it," mm-hmm. and you know, and and that's when Giddy says, "Oh no, I know, I saw him today," and then you see her completely retract and how. Powerful that is, and you're like, oh wait, what happens? What's going on? And you know, you're you're fully in at that point. And I think that's, you know, it's him, it's her, it's them together, which is just wildly effective.
0: It's great when, the, especially when they're on the job together, and she's she's driving the getaway car, and he's, you know, they're running out of the retirement home. He's jumping on the runner boards, and there's guys shooting at him, and they're a real team. I, it's it's a moment I think that goes a lot towards solidifying the relationship because the next scene is, is going to be them hopping into bed together, which is a, a scene that is kind of obligatory in the genre and the style of filmmaking this is working in and is sometimes forced in, you know, there's a lot of detective movies where it's like, why are they together? Oh, right. Cause they're two huge movie stars and they're in the same scene together. So why <laughs> not? I, I buy the relationship more because I think she's as equal and they, she brings something to the partnership and it's, it's still working on that tense level. It's that can can either of them really trust the other? Like this is a very tenuous partnership they've got going on, but uh, it's just great. And I mean, in just ter- terms of legacy, like you got two '70s legends here in in two of their greatest roles, and I mean, they're both about to go knock it out of the park in the next couple of years because Jack Nicholson's going to go on to one floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, Faye Dunaway's going to go on to Network, and I mean, holy cow! Two right. Performances <laughs> on the top of
1: the charts. Yeah, and I mean she's just so engaging, and if you don't have a relationship, you're not going to get anyone who's watching movies who doesn't have a relationship with Jack. But maybe people who don't know Faye Dunaway as much, I think, is you know maybe realistic. And I think she's someone it's just she fully brings you into that everything she does. You want to know more about her, and I, I think that that's a really impressive thing when you're opposite Jack Nicholson.
0: I guess last praise I'll give her just to sum it up in a sentence or two, like. It's it's a heck of a feat to be able to convince an audience like you were the femme fatale the first time they watched the movie and the second time be like you're the hero of the movie.
1: Yeah, because that's not, that's near impossible to do to be able to play it each time and it not Because, like I said, the fact that these twists hold up each time you watch, because you know, sometimes twists ruin movies. You know, you see a twist and you can never watch it again because nothing else works. Here the twist just makes everything before it more interesting because you want to see how it gets there. And that's, that's near impossible.
0: So, so that's one of your points too, is that's what's, is that what's making this twist hold up is that it enriches everything before it. It's not like a cheap trick, to you know, really raise the darkness or the
1: the tension. Yeah. It, 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 one, it holds up. It's, this is a 41, you know, 41 year old, whatever movie a 47-year-old movie and, and it and it works and it holds up and but it makes it makes every performance, it all makes sense. It's not. I just think it's just such effective storytelling that gets better as you watch it each time and doesn't make the movie boring, doesn't make everything before it seem lazy, it makes everything else seem smart, especially um, you know, with the relationship dynamics and everything going in, especially as you're meeting Noah and you know, his relationship with Hollis and, you know, even just like the slightness of the dam and what all of these things meant to each other and what this money, you know, what $35 million in 1937 looks like when (laughs) we're in 2022 and you're looking at probably $200 million, like, and then to get into that, you know, the daughter that they had to hide because of what happened with the dad. I mean, it's, it's, it's dark and, something that dark could turn people away but i just think it brings everybody in and you just wish you know the wrong person didn't walk out of there
0: that's something i respect about the movie and again to come back to like what would the conventional wisdom be of updating a you know noir movie and how would we roll with it like the conventional wisdom is just to break the production code is to be like we can go nuts we can be as violent as we want we can show the sex we can we can. Do everything, and and some of that is present, but you know, I think it's all still very tasteful. The violence isn't over the top; it's fairly quick. You know, the the famous slitting of Jake's nose. It's not like it was a drawn out torture scene. It's, it just comes right. as a shock. You know, <laughs> one minute he's threatening kitty, him with kitty, it, and then kitty it's just cat, a and he's on the ground. Yeah, and I, you know, that's that's another great. I I say that on a weekly basis to somebody in my house. So, Hold on there, kitty cat.
1: <laughs> I'm um, glad that lived on with you.
0: <laughs> yeah um but and you know like the, the sex scene there's there's some nudity but it's still tasteful it's not all over the place it's not like we're in the 70s now we can do whatever we want and and that twist there's still a restraint there there's not like a lot of um overdoing it, being overly explicit and i think that works not only in terms of like what is that too much for an audience to handle but also you know for the character them characters themselves to be dealing with that trauma it's not something you're just gonna like talk about all, all out in the open
1: Exactly there, there has to be subtlety in the conversation
0: right, and so I've always admired that restraint that it was like you kind of had free reign to be able to do what you want and say like we're a seventies movie, we can break the production code, this isn't the forties to get the the tone right and and to up the tone because really it's darker than any detective movie. How could it not be with a twist about incest and you know somebody whose child happens to also be their sibling I mean holy crap right. um, super dark i've always. Ab- <laughs> Yeah, like it's, it's it's kind of great. Like again, what I said in spoiler free, like there's jokes about this. All I remember watching sitcoms with the my sister, my daughter thing was like this funny reference to Chinatown, and now I'm just like, wow, actually knowing what that comes from, that's kind of nuts. That aired on like primetime NBC. So, yeah, just the restraint. I've got mad respect for it, and I, I'll I agree with everything you said. That it's just so en- it enriches the story. It's not just like. I need the big twist. I need the scene that everyone's gonna like gasp at and go out and tell their friends. Like you have to see this because there's this big shock at the end. It's and it's, it's in line. We'll talk in a minute with my personal philosophy that the movie really sums up the 70s, maybe more than any other.
1: Oh, I, I think the other thing with Noah walking away, just this, it's a profoundly unhappy ending. And I think that you know when when the you know the sister daughter scene that's going to make you feel wildly uncomfortable you know and then when you find out how uncomfortable Jack was even doing it, because he actually hit her at Faye's request but you know for such yeah. a powerful scene at that's yeah, right <laughs> but at that scene you're kind of like all right well Noah's not making it out of this right for him then to get his daughter granddaughter with a bullet in the arm but get the hell out of there while you know Faye Dunaway's not in there it's just it's like no why is evelyn no what is you know it back to you know the steering wheeling for the second time just this way and just worst way and it's just you know for then the end line of uh you know ah it's chinatown it's like no what happened (laughs) it's just such a
0: sometimes a hard left turn because again I'll, i'll bring up maltese falcon again the, the the last scene of that movie and i really really love the movie i feel bad like feels like i'm just dumping on it but the it's this hard left turn to like please the the studios and the production offices because all of a sudden like everything wraps up the bad guys get caught and sam spade who's been kind of a dick the whole movie all of a sudden is like this warrior for justice and so this in some ways you know again this taking the detective movie and running with it it's like total commitment and it's almost a reverse, you know, because in those in the old movies, it's OK. They start out they're They're cynical. They're a jerk. And by the end, they've found some light. They've maybe found the, the love of a woman or they have found the truth or whatever. And and this one works the opposite that I feel is as snarky and you know hard edge as J.J. Giddies can be. He's kind of a crusader for truth. We have all these scenes, you know, he's in Yelburton's office saying you're a family man. You got a wife and kids. I don't want to nail you. I want to get the big ones. you paid you off. I want to go for the big corruption. I want them to pay. He's, he's this crusader for justice. And by the end, it's just all come crashing down around him. And, you know, his past is caught up with him. There's still the fatalism that, you know, what was meant to be, will be It all. comes back to Chinatown. And it, again, it's restrained, but that's, it is, it's a dark, dark ending. And it's, it's even played off. It's another thing that's maybe always bugged me that I think oh, I may not play great for modern audiences is, John Houston is very nonplussed that he's been shot in the arm. He kind of like winces with one eye and holds it. It's like pretty sure if you shot in the arm, it's not just like ah oh, man. But but also <laughs> just you know you pointed out it's it's this reversal of like this truly evil man gets gets a tiny little ping in the arm that he doesn't even really rec he doesn't even register it's happened. You know, thirty seconds later, and your heroine who's done nothing wrong who's been fighting to keep her daughter safe her husband's been murdered just gruesomely shot through the eye like holy cow how dark is that
1: yeah i mean, driving away with her daughter who she's trying to protect from meeting her incestuous grandfather so that she doesn't have a daughter granddaughter whatever i don't even know what that would look like and just right through the eye while and you're, you're right. His no cell of the bullet to the arm. I don't care how small of a, he's 60 year old man. You know, he, right. something's <laughs> taking him down. He's,
0: <laughs> but it works thematically, you know, cause, cause out of all that, the violence, of the scene, I, I I think that the most disturbing thing is, you know, Catherine reacting to this traumatic event of seeing her, her mother just lying there dead and the wage on Houston really, like, is saying, oh, no, in a way that's like, I'm required to say this out loud, but I'm not feeling it. And the way he just takes her and cradles her, that's the most disturbing part of the scene for me. And, and again, that's how it ends. She's, take, she's literally dragged off
1: by this man yeah, who's, who's raped his daughter, her mother. I like how you said that, though, that it was, you know, what he meant to say. It actually reminded me of... Um, one of the early episodes of Dexter the TV show and he's like oh I'm in a you know in a police department how come only one person here suspects me because you know I'm acting like what I think a human's supposed to act like and you know he did that but his whole focus was on getting Catherine not to protect her not to love her as his mm-hmm. property now and that's you know the amount of money he offered to pay giddy's to find her was outrageous and right you know, and, and that got Giddy's radar up and, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's just such a dark ending that just happens. And a lot happens at once. It's he shot, they're pulling away. She shot through the eye. He grabs poor Catherine, poor Catherine, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's brutal. And and I guess all this to say, you know, one of my points is like, I think the movie kind of sums up the seventies and i laid it out in spoiler free to me, the, The themes of 70s filmmaking is, it is this pessimism. It's disillusionment. It's the powers that be do not have your best interests at heart. Like, they're out for themselves and profiteering. And and that's the whole story of Chinatown. It's You know, and film noir just fit that story Mm -hmm. so well. So you're, you're using this, you know, in air quotes, classic style or genre of filmmaking. Yeah, you're making it in the 70s. And again, through the cinematography, it's It's very modernistic for its time, yet it still plays today. It very rarely oversteps and you know these these are ideas and attitudes that haven't really changed. I think there's maybe like a, a higher level of optimism injected into movies since, but you know just the the, the you know the last line forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown that kind of sums up a lot of like what the the classic seventies movies were laying out, whether it's taxi driver or one floor of the cuckoo's nest it's the house wins like this is uh this is how it goes and it's it's a reality that even in 21st century has kind of proven time and again to still work out so i think that's a big reason why the movie holds up that you've you've got a complex protagonist a guy who's hard edge. he's not naive he knows how the world works I, I like how he describes escobar to noah cross when noah asks him like is he competent he's like oh yeah is he honest he's like as far as it goes or something like that he says something effective like he's got to swim in the same waters we all do like he's he's not a boy scout but he is he's a hero and no matter what he does you know his his history as very vague as it is saying i i tried to do as little as possible and still somebody got hurt and here it is. I'm not going to make the same mistakes again. I'm getting involved. I'm going to put my reputation on the line. I'm going to lie to the cops. I'm going to sneak away. I'm going to get you out. And that's still same event, same fatalism, same pessimism. And and really where this is heading to me, that's crazy is like, we, we've been talking about this stuff. It's a downer is not nearly a big enough word to describe it. It's it's dark material, but the movie's captivating. It's a movie I look forward to watching every couple of years. And that's that's the craft. That's just, how perfectly it's put together but it's a good story
1: it's it's a great story that's not gimmicky and you know it's something so dark that still makes you want to return to it which is really impressive but yeah just that that just that 70s because you know when you think of the 70s you think of like the it's you know the spy everybody uncertain everything just so just so dark um, always someone watching and for this you know to make it to take that distrust and turn it into the water authority and um, you know the orange groves really worked because it felt it didn't feel so big that it's just like oh the big overseeing reach it's no these guys are doing this thing and this is why and it's it's just it's very effective because you're able to kind of identify the world in all the parts, but also, like you said, feel the larger scale of the institutional distrust. Um, you know, it just really worked on such a micro level that expands macro, which is something that I think a lot of people have tried to do and not been successful. It's
0: it's tough. I mean, you got to have all the pieces together, and Chinatown's kind of one of those things where it's like, wow, you're really lightning in a bottle. You had like I said earlier, there's, you know, it's not just Polanski. we got 300 people putting this together. we got exceptional actors. We have great cinematographers, sadly one of which has two shots in the movie before he was fired, but they're great shots. The driving away at sunset and I think the orange groves. I, I call out both those sequences. The orange groves. So, you know, yeah. Props to John Alonzo. Yeah, John, John Alonzo did most of the work, but um, you know, props to Stanley Cortez before he got fired. He's got two sequences that are absolute winners in there. So Joey, I, I feel I've adequately been able to make all my points about why the movie's a must for me. Is there anything we've left off the table for you?
1: No, I think we've really gotten into it. I think um You know, I I, I think this is a movie that you know, I, I don't want us talking about the dark... Hopefully at this point, if you're listening to us, you've watched it. But if for some reason you haven't, you're willing to be spoiled, stop now. But don't let the darkness scare you because it's all done in a way that makes sense. It's not done dark to be dark. Some movies are dark to be dark. And I'm okay with that. I, I really like dark movies that make you feel uncomfortable. But I understand that that is a probably more of a character flaw. Um, but this isn't that. This is... Dark to tell the story in the larger world, and it is wildly effective.
0: Right. And there's we've talked, there's there's moments of levity, there's moments of brightness. These are things you wouldn't get in a a, a hard-boiled detective movie of the forties and fifties, you know, you're not you still get him Bugs Bunnying with the secretary and the Department of Water. You still get exactly all the equipped and stuff. You you get him climbing a fence and losing his floor sign shoes, which is such a tragedy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know just real quick i did you know we, we talked about it quick but i just really love the orange grove scene i just think that is a really just from start to finish re- from you know when he pulls up until when evelyn pulls up just great scene and i think in a yeah. movie of great scenes it might get lost so
0: yeah i'll, I'll say it one more time i kind of called out the brightness of it but again to say how the movie's dissing itself from film noir it's not a It's not a car chase through the midnight steamy streets of LA. It's broad (laughs) daylight and it comes as a surprise. First of all, he's just checking out and all of a sudden there's oranges exploding around him because they've been shot. It's a guy on a horse chasing a guy in an old convertible through, you know, very narrow rows of orange groves. It's, it's a great way to do a chase sequence. It's an original idea. It fits the story, but it's not what you would see your standard noir detective do. So i i love it too i think it's great and i feel i feel like he's overly mean in that part he calls one of them like a dumb oaky
1: yeah it's he like, really goes at him like, read,
0: <laughs> yeah read, read the environment you lost the fight i know i know that you know raises pride your, is a bitch but <laughs> yeah but you know that's that's true to, to jj giddy he's a man who follows his pride he's he's pursuing this case out of personal pride you know he doesn't want to be taken for a ride he doesn't want his reputation tarnished to be the the idiot that didn't do his homework and actually make sure it was <laughs> mrs Mori that hired him
1: which is oh a great twist yeah uh, uh, but when but when you brought that up earlier i was like oh he's right that that is a really cool just very different so as we were just wrapping up i really you know really wanted to reiterate what you said there so
0: yeah i'll, I'll just reiterate what you said with the script it's tight it's not a sequence out of place. Not a There's not a scene that's the easy one to pick the bathroom break. So you just got to ride it out through the whole time. But You're okay, in. You're all in. Enough, you'll forget it. Yeah. Um, so, to, so to close us out here, Joy, I love double features. And and so I'm always throwing it out to co-hosts to, to put a movie into whatever we're talking about as a double feature. So we've got Chinatown on one end. I'm curious on a given movie night, you've got time to watch two movies. What are you going to put into
1: a double feature with Chinatown? So, usually, if I'm thinking of, because I've responded to you on Twitter a few times when you've said, like, oh, what is that, you know, what would you do? Like, I've thrown a couple things out there, and I usually think about them a lot, and I'm just like, oh, what would make sense? This, there was one movie that when I, that I actually watched this weekend, um, because I couldn't stop thinking about it, and it was all about, you know, old L.A., super good script, and just... Engaging engrossing movie and uh Sunset Boulevard, you know we talked about Billy Wilder earlier um i I couldn't i I had to watch it this weekend after doing this because I was just that's all I was thinking about
0: yeah uh that's a personal favorite of mine that's such a great pick um again, I mean, you want to talk about a a dark movie that's working with subtlety here i mean the uh the orangutan alone is. Maybe one
1: of the most disturbing <laughs> things to come out of these Hollywoods. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's so. I loved it, but yeah, I you know it was so funny because, I, you know, I said so whenever you do these, I think about what I would do, and it usually, so when I you know I was kind of going into it, I was I try not to think ahead because I want to like what makes sense with it. And I was like, oh, this is that's gonna take me forever. I couldn't stop. I was like, all right. I just pictured that scene where they're, they're in the back of the car and she's telling him to get that she has to get a new suit because she's sick of the new one. This one that he's been wearing the whole time. I was like, I gotta go watch it. I couldn't get out of it.
0: Yeah, it's an all it's an all-timer. Speaking of another movie where I think the female lead outshines the male lead, I mean whole Gloria Swanson.
1: That one a hundred percent. She she's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that's Oscar wise, that's a tough year because All About Eve is great. I, I can't argue with it; it's a freaking great movie. But Sunset Boulevard just has earned every bit of its legacy. That that and that'll be a great to, to speak of how this pairs up. I mean, it's another show I'm just scared out of my mind to do on cinemas, Just because how can I, how can I talk about perfection? <laughs> that's a big one. Okay, so so yet again, it's such a good pick. I may be embarrassed to say what I've chosen, but. I went into this with the the kind of mindset I I was thinking a lot like you, like, what are my detective movies I want to go after? And I watched a couple, but I kind of realized, like, I'm scared out of my mind to go talk about Chinatown because I don't know how I'm going to talk about near perfection. So why put the pressure on to find another movie on this level? (laughs) So we talked about how Chinatown may be an underseen classic and masterpiece of the 70s. Even lesser seen, and I don't know if you know this, Chinatown has a sequel. Did you know
1: this? Uh, I learned it from this, and I wish... My plan was to watch it, but I got caught up in Sunset Boulevard. So is this... is where? The, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, so my double-pick recommendation is the sequel to Chinatown. It is called The Two Jakes. It was produced in 1990. It is directed by Jack Nicholson himself, and I... Don't expect the same level of filmmaking here. Um, I I like the two Jakes decently enough. I actually think it's got a really strong opening. It really peters out. Just a lot of the critiques we were throwing out here. That the cinematography is fairly uninspired. It's a '90s movie, and you can really, really tell. It 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 really plays like a a reunion. Like a lot of the story is built around like let's get the same actors back playing the same characters. Time has passed. It's post war now. And and that stuff is is fun. It's kind of cool to see, like, oh, Khan's back, and there's Escobar and all this. the The mystery gets convoluted, but it, it starts off with a, a good like first half hour that really loses it. I I think maybe the biggest problem with the two Jakes is we talked about Jack Nicholson's performance, and I I love it because it's kind of pre big crazy Jack Nicholson, and and it's 1990 by this point, like he's trying i'm not accusing him of not trying i know he put his heart and soul into the movie especially because it had so many production problems but he's jack nicholson in the two jakes like it's it's hard to see him as the same character you saw in chinatown even though the plot is constantly dredging up like things from the the movie are coming back the past keeps coming back it's a huge part of the movie but yeah i mean it's it was just kind of fun to me to say you know thinking about this as chinatown as a movie like people haven't seen even though it's like on so many best of lists and then I remember, you know, it took me a couple years of loving Chinatown before I realized like it had a sequel and nobody freaking knows about it. And to speak of how Chinatown is so hard to find, you know, streaming anywhere. Two Jakes is right there on HBO Max, but you, you oh, got to it really? know it's there. It's not gonna, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not going to it's not going to pop up. You when you go to the search bar, you've got to type in the word two. you got to put the space. And you got to put that J there if you're gonna find it. Like it's gonna make you. Oh, it's deep. Search it, but it's there in HBO Max. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very deep
1: under there. Oh man, but it, it makes it. you earn it. Get, all get right,
0: the story out.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, listen, I I fully support anything Jack does. So all in on that. i you know I'm going to. I'm going to do my best to watch it before this, before this is released, and I will throw out my response on Twitter because that's exciting. I'm excited that that's your pick.
0: Please do. I mean, I'm super excited to hear people's thoughts on Chinatown, but anybody who wants to throw in some thoughts on the two Jakes, I'm, I'm all here for it. So those are our double feature recommendations. And before we go, uh, Joey, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't take a minute. So sorry we're dragging this out, but you're on a show. You're giving Oscar love, and I love the Oscars. This is the year that a lot of people are backing. This is one of the years people would say, yep, we got, they got it right. This is Godfather Part 2's big moment in the spotlight. Are there any Oscars, in your personal opinion? Maybe Chinatown deserved over
1: Godfather Part 2. Oh, man. I really want to be the guy who sits here and says that it should have gotten Best Picture over Godfather 2 just to get people really upset because. I love that, but and I think Chinatown would win in many years, but um you know i I think this is godfather's year unfortunately I think it's uh I wish Chinatown came out a little bit different <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: but you know because um so i'm new you know if you if you're a listener to the best picture cast, i'm new to the Godfather world i you know, I just had never you know, they were just such big movies that I had never seen because they were just so big. I was like, what What am I going to do? Get in there. But um, it's tough. What about you? Because I feel like uh, I feel like you're going to do a better job at this than I am.
0: You know, you know it's my question that I have prepped for. So go figure. Um, OK, here's the thing. I I thought I was going to roll in this with my hot take because. Let, let me get the record. I do love godfather part two i do think it's a great movie i am more of a godfather part one person there i've got a a couple of beefs with godfather part two it doesn't totally do it for me i don't think it's perfection the way the first one is
1: oh see i'm the opposite (laughs) so i would put this over godfather one
0: yeah uh, you know a lot of people are like a lot of people like part two better and and i like that that's part of the conversation it's two great movies so you know i'm picturing myself as you know putting myself i'm an academy voter in 1974 and i've got my pencil in my hand i got the ballot I'm probably still going to check off Godfather part two, if I'm being honest, but I got my hand is shaking really hard, like being drawn down to that Chinatown box because it's, <laughs> it's a close one. And, and and just for the sake of like um, variety or the underdog winning, I think it would be cool that living in reality where Chinatown took best picture. Um, here's the deal. I I can't really argue much with it. And, I haven't seen Harry and Tonto, so I can't speak to Art Carney taking the Oscar from Jack Nicholson. Um, honestly, I'd probably give it to Pacino for Godfather Part Two. I, I like. Yeah, I now. agree. Here's yeah. here's the big travesty. Here's the big travesty, and this one isn't Godfather Part Two's fault at all. Let me make sure I got this right godfather part two wasn't even nominated in the cinematography category which i know a lot of people are going to say is like one of the biggest crimes against cinema. it's absurd
1: we yelled about that a lot on the podcast
0: now here's now here's my hot take i'm going to assume a reality in which it is i'm still picking chinatown to win best cinematography over the godfather part two if it happened towering Inferno. I, I agree with you there's no way the towering inferno has better cinematography than chinatown
1: <laughs> there's just no no way. No, and I agree with that because I do I do agree with your cinematography points and I I think this is the, one of the best shot movies I could imagine and again Godfather not being nominated is a sin. I support a Chinatown win there.
0: Yeah. It it would have been the difference between operating in light and darkness Godfather 2 so dark um i like chinatown i like the light i love what it's doing i love the blocking but um yeah i i really i really wanted to come in here i was trying to convince myself be the hot take guy say chinatown should have stole best picture i don't know if that's the box i would have checked so i'd love to hear anybody listening who who does hold that opinion i'd love to see if there's that that group out there crusading that chinatown should have taken home the gold because uh it's a close one it's it's a close one it's
1: it's close and i wanted to do it and I, i'll be honest i tried to write out arguments to, but I was like, all right, just, just, and then I was just like, fuck it, just do it. Get, get people upset. But I, I ultimately couldn't, it just felt, it felt too fake. And none of this works if any of us are fake. So it, it you know, I had to be, it had to be true, but man, I, I'll be, I wanted to.
0: Yeah. Stacked Oscar here. So thank you for indulging me in that. I can never resist a little hypothetical time travel. You know, I could I could talk myself in circles like, oh, maybe if Coppola won director for the first one instead of Bob Fosse, then we can get. You know, but I don't really care about Plansky winning best director. So, I'll, you know, yeah, I know. better yeah. off not
1: <laughs> better yeah. off not.
0: I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. How about how about this? If he was going to win an Oscar for directing, which he has, I'd rather he got it for Chinatown than The Pianist, because I'm not the biggest fan of The Pianist.
1: Yeah, I only saw that once and I I think I'm good.
0: Anyways, all that to say, I'll I'll wrap up the hypothetical Oscar talk here. Thanks for indulging me, Joey. I'll, I'd lo- I'm going to throw those questions out on our social media platforms, the whole Oscar debate. We're going to throw out what you guys would put into a double feature with Chinatown. That'll be Thursday, and that'll get you all geared up for Friday, in which you will all have the vote. Does Chinatown deserve to be considered a true cinema must, an essential movie? Only you can decide. Joey and I have had our say, but uh, maybe we're off base here. Maybe we got rose-colored glasses. But um, yeah, so stick around on Friday, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, follow us on Cinemus. You all are going to be casting the votes and I cannot wait to see the comments and where this is going to go. And Joey, it was a heavy hitter for your first time, but you, you knocked it out of the park, man. You'll be department head in no time.
1: Ah oh, man, I appreciate it so much. You know, to to trust me with such a big movie to come on for the first time, I, I really appreciate it. You know, um, big fan of what you've done. I think uh, I think Doctor Strange Love is my favorite episode you put out there so far. But uh, you know, I, I think I think we I think we hit some gold here. I think this was uh, had a really fun time talking about this. Just really, really fantastic movie.
0: Okay, well, if you're down for it, I'd love to have you back. We'll pick something more obscure, more weird, if it's even possible to, uh, it's possible to find more obscure it's that's possible to say
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, the next time we'll go wild crazy and unknown and you know and have fun with it in a completely different way i'd love to be back man i really appreciate it and uh definitely looking to have you excited for you to come into the worst picture best picture world with us and uh you know it's awesome and you know for us we're we're on twitter best picture cast we're on everything best picture cast we're everywhere you could listen to podcasts. So, you know, check us out. We're, uh, you know, we're one, we're out there, we're, we're doing things and, uh, you know, we love to engage with people. So,
0: yeah. And, and to give some people some incentive to follow those tags, you guys have great listener interaction. You're throwing out things, give us your questions, give us your comments, you're throwing them up on air. Like it feels good to be a fan. Cause I feel like my opinion matters. My voice counts. Um, you guys do stellar work. So everybody, Check out Joey on Best Picture Cast. Check him out on Worst Picture Cast. You got a good spread there, and he does a phenomenal job. If you liked him here, you got tons of other content just at your fingertips when we close out here in a minute. All right, so with that, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Joey, for hosting. Do you have any final words to say?
1: You know, it's been a pleasure. Mike, you're, you're a fantastic host. I appreciate everything, but it's Chinatown.